we want to make sure that uh, as the Alberta Treasury receives additional royalties from these higher prices, that some of that is passed on to consumers. Yeah, that from Premier Kenny this morning. So he's asked the finance minister, the energy minister, to come up with some ideas. And we'll get a further announcement next week on how the Alberta government intends to provide Albertans with some relief from record high gasoline prices. Now, you, you are certainly it's the kind of situation we're all well aware of, uh, either when we fill up or even just driving past the gas uh, station. You know, the prices uh, are very obvious. And so we notice these increases and, and they have been considerable. So in some parts of Alberta, uh, the price is above a dollar fifty a liter, maybe even closing in a one sixty a liter. Uh, it's much higher elsewhere. Some parts of uh, the lower mainland in BC, they have uh, crashed through the two dollar a liter barrier, which uh, must be quite the sticker shock, I, I would imagine. Uh, so that's uh, what we're seeing in some parts of the country. So yes, it, it is uh, a considerable increase, certainly stemming from the uh, high prices for uh, oil right now, well above a hundred dollars a barrel on West Texas Intermediate, even Western Canadian Select, around the $100 a barrel mark. And look, is that going to, to change anytime soon? Obviously, we don't know how this whole situation in Ukraine is going to unfold, but obviously we're going to start getting toward the summer driving season. So the demand side uh, is, is likely to, to remain high. Uh, but, um, you know, how much of a, a price increase can consumers sustain here? So uh, a lot of things happening, obviously. And so joining us to, to break it down, uh, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, economist uh, Rory Johnston, uh, who is um, founder of uh, Commodity uh, Context, the Commodity Context uh, newsletter. Rory, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. So let's kind of walk through this. So the price of oil, as mentioned, trading well above $100 a barrel. That's affecting the inputs of refineries. That's affecting the, the end product. So let's, let's kind of go through each of these steps here. Why, why is the price of oil so high right now, first of all? Yeah, I think I think we should break the price of oil kind of down into two pieces. We've had the kind of because right now, what's driving the price of oil is basically entirely the Russia-Ukraine crisis, right? The last week, we've seen prices jump by upwards of twenty-five to thirty dollars a barrel, highest levels by a long shot uh, since prices collapsed in twenty fourteen. A lot of that is just because of this radical uncertainty that the market just doesn't know how much Russian crude we might lose here, either from Russia holding back supplies, or I think more recently and kind of more realistically now uh, from concerns about uh, allied, you know, NATO allied countries uh, sanctioning Russia and trying to limit its ability to export those, uh, th those barrels. But the reason that those, you know, the reason that that worry is so acute right now is that is that previous piece, which is the last eight, the last eighteen months before Russia and Ukraine even had a, you know uh, landed in the headlines, um, we had already a historic rally that brought us from negative prices in 2020 up to you know ninety dollars or so before you know Russia and Ukraine uh, came in came into play. So last year the oil market was undersupplied by about a million and a half to two million barrels a day, which is about two percent of global supply. And that was more or less through the entirety of last year. Inventories fell from record high levels back to levels that we haven't seen since 2010 to 2014, when everyone kind of thought oil prices were going to be high forever. So overall, we're just in a very, very tight market. And that's the backdrop against which, you know, all of this Russia uh, kind of narrative comes in. And that's why we went basically from, you know, a really healthy, historically strong rally to more or less vertical on the charts overnight. 
Yeah, it's been pretty wild to see. Now, when we when we saw the um, you know the price surging even prior to this whole situation, is that because maybe demand recovered more quickly than expected, or or are there still other constraints on the production on the supply side? Yeah, so I think it's I think it's both. Um, uh, like a lot of sectors of the economy, demand definitely you know roared back much quicker much quicker than anyone was expecting. This is the same kind of. Um, COVID demand whiplash that virtually every other commodity market faced. What's unique about the oil market right here is on the supply side is that historically you would have expected the U.S. shale producers to come back, you know, pumping way more and growing by way more than they're currently doing, um, you know, with prices even well below where they are right now. I think it's important to remember that in 2018, when prices were still below $80 a barrel, uh, the U.S. Produ- you know, U.S. producers grew by a million and a half to two million barrels a day, overwhelming global demand growth for the year. This year, optimistically, the kind of various forecasting agencies are expecting maybe a million barrels a day of growth from the U.S. shale patch, and that's with prices now well over a hundred dollars a barrel. So the reason for that kind of apprehension and kind of reticence to invest uh, and drill more from from U.S. shale is the fact that equity markets have essentially said, stop producing more. You have a history of overproducing, of chasing these prices higher, and kind of crushing the price and losing money in the process. There was some talk that that Iran might be able to to get some of its production uh, back into global markets. Uh, Maybe there's also the question of what, what OPEC intends to do. What about that side of the global supply picture? Yeah, so, you know, we'll do OPEC first and then Iran second. So on the OPEC side... Um, that's another area that has kind of been uh, a staple of, of the bullish trade for oil for at least the last couple of months, which is that OPEC continues to underproduce relative to its its kind of dedicated or decided quotas. Uh, so it keeps falling further and further behind that, which a lot of people are pointing to and saying, look, they don't have the spare capacity they claim. Um, and, and that's just been one more kind of, you know, lack of supply in the market. I think there's still some that if we really got an explosive situation with Russian exports, I think we could get some incremental barrels from Saudi Arabia and potentially the UAE. Uh, but we're not talking, you know, a lot of oil here, maybe 3 million barrels a day between them, which that alone doesn't cover uh, all of Russia's exports if we were to lose it all. And then you move to Iran, um, and, you know, obviously the headlines have been extremely busy. We have uh, Russia on one side, we have Iran there. Um, so the Iran deal seems like it, it we're heading pretty quickly towards something being agreed here. Um, it's probably going to take a couple months for them to ramp up that production. But based on the estimates I've seen, it looks like we could probably get another million barrels a day, give or take, from Iran within three to six months. Um, which, again, will definitely help. Uh, and I think every barrel right now will. Uh, but even those, those three producers, so Iran, Saudi Arabia, and UAE together, wouldn't uh, wouldn't kind of offset all of Russia's exports if if they lost them all. And I think that's the big question is how much of Russia's exports are we going to lose from sanctions? Right. And yeah, that, that's an open question at this point. But I think what, you know, the picture you're painting, it doesn't sound like we should anticipate uh, any kind of significant decline, at least for now in the short term, when it comes to the price of oil. And if we see demand continue to increase, we get into the summer driving season, we may still be, you know, stuck more or less in this situation. No, I, I completely agree. I think that it's I, I think the only thing that could durably bring down the price of oil in the near term is either a very rapid cessation of hostilities from Russia and Ukraine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, you're finally going to start to see an increase in the U.S. Uh, oil-directed rig count uh, that will kind of signal that um, the shale producers are coming back in force. And literally just just before this call, uh, the Baker Hughes rig count was released, and uh, oil pr- oil production rigs actually fell by three week on week. So we're heading in a very wrong direction, and it's pretty staggering to think that the U.S. Uh, producers are drilling less uh, this week than last, given that oil prices are so staggeringly high. Well, there's also the question, I guess, the broader question of the economy itself. I mean, you know, high oil prices can have their own economic shock. I mean, obviously, a, a recession, which we're hoping to avoid, uh, could, you know, factor into to what happens on, on commodity markets. The Bank of Canada still seems to think, you know, that, that the economy in Canada is, uh, you know, going to have a good year. But, I mean, a recession is is one way of bringing down oil prices, I suppose. Absolutely, and I think that's definitely something, you know, even before the oil prices spiked to these wildly high levels, there's already concern that potentially the rapid pace of central bank interest rate hikes uh, would would potentially trigger a recession or that we'd have some kind of lingering kind of gremlins in the economy from, from the COVID-era stimulus. Um, that is also another way that, that, that the prices could kind of come down is, is a recession. I think that uh, given the fact that we have prices, kind of virtually everything screaming so high, uh, I think people are trying to get people get very wary, very very worried about thinking about a recession, those kinds of that kind of environment, because it sounds very stagflationing. Well, we'll leave it there. Appreciate the insight, Rory. Much more to commoditycontacts.substack.com. Uh, Rory, thanks so much for joining us here. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, all the best. Uh, Rory Johnston, economist, uh, founder of Commodity Context. You can find the Commodity Context uh, newsletter at, uh, as mentioned, commoditycontext.substack.com.